Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Let me tell you a little bit about Bet Online. It remains your number one spot for NBA, MLB, MMA, boxing. It doesn't matter. Every single prop, every single play, every single point, it's all at Bet Online. When it comes to bets, when it comes to props, everything that you need is at your headquarters for sports betting. That's Bet Online. Head to the website right now, use your mobile device, sign up, get a 50, that's 50% welcome bonus. Don't forget to use the promo code BLEAV, that's BLEAV, to get yourself a 50% welcome bonus. Come on, there's no need to hesitate. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, let's get down to business. An active lifestyle can cause hemorrhoids. That sucks. Lucky for you, they're south of the border. South of the border is a holistic approach to dealing with the affected area. Go to southoftheborder.com, use code AHOLE, A-H-O-L-E, get yourself 30% off. That's pretty rad. And this is not an area of your body you wanna put bad ingredients in. Make sure you turn to south of the border. Southoftheborder.com, code AHOLE. I hope you're ready to have your mind blown with the greatest health and fitness information on the planet. <laughs> yes, bitch. By the way, welcome to Mikey Lexi Podcast. We'll, we'll include all the the pre the preamble that Giorgio and I are talking about, catching up on grappling and stuff like that. Um, but I, I actually I actually heard. Uh, very recently, Lee Priest, who was a very famous bodybuilder uh, in the 90s, and I mean, was a, was a damn good one. Say something very similar to what Faraz Zahabi uh, has always said, and then other great coaches in skill sports will talk about, is that the diff- understanding the difference between volume and intensity. And I think that that argument is really sound in all other sports except for physique sports. For this reason, you know, Lee Priest, the Australian guy, and he and he and he's jet. Don't get me wrong; he's a world class bodybuilder, one of the greatest physiques ever. Little guy, but just huge muscular arms, um, beautiful like muscle bellies, and he always came in great condition on stage. So, I this is not a knock on Lee Priest, but he was making the argument on a on a podcast I heard him talking about uh, that you know I read these books about uh, boxing, right? Boxing and MMA. I would assume too. Yeah, they're training. Twice a day, six, seven hours a day, eight hours a day. Are you telling me you're going to be a world-class bodybuilder and you're training 45 minutes at a time? I was reading books on boxing, boxers, top-line boxers and probably MMA, six, eight hours a day. So when it comes to bodybuilding, you're telling me you want to be this massive figure, the Mm -hmm. biggest and best in the world, but only train 45 minutes a fucking day. That's a faulty argument because boxing is a skill. MMA, grab any jujitsu, wrestling, it's a skill that goes way far and beyond just the physical exertion, the, the 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 sweat equity that you get out of doing that activity. Bodybuilding is purely about eliciting a response from your body from the stimulus that you provide. It is not. It's not a. It is about trying to manipulate the way your body looks, and those are two completely different things. So to say, like, well, you need to spend eight hours a day to be a bodybuilder is is completely farcical. Now, alternatively, if you did want to be a world class uh, grappler, archer, 
rifleman, boxer, you probably have to understand going hard and going soft and how to go soft and just train that skill and do it way more than you think you need to. I do think that that is a a very good argument and that is a very good point. Being Michael Phelps was one of the hardest interviews I ever had. He was not, I would not call him a charismatic fellow. But I talked to him and I care and I asked him, I said, you're one of the greatest athletes that's ever walked the planet and maybe ever will. What you were able to achieve at, I mean, the amount of medals that guy won and the fashion in which he did it is utterly stunning. He was the most dominant athlete for an extended period of time. And, and, and we'll him or go, Usain Bolt. We'll go down in history, probably. Uh, any sport as a, one of the most dominant performers in athletics ever, right? And I said, what? I mean, because you were, since you were seven, you were probably swimming against some of the best in the world. What separated you? He said, I got to be honest, man. I just swam more. I was always, even at the Olympic Training Center, I got to the pool early. I would just be in the pool more. He's like, I just noticed that the more I was in the pool, the better things ended up for me. And so he would leave late. He would stay. He would come early. And he just, he said, I swam more than every other U.S. member of the swimming team. It didn't matter at the event. I was in the pool longer if you just logged hours. And um, that sat with me. That sat with me a lot because I don't have any aspiration to be like an ADCC champion. But I also can't even compare myself to guys my own age who are just hobbyists who do it four or five times a day. Excuse me, four or five times a week when I'm doing it two or three times a week. You can't, you can't expect to compare. Understand that when you're trying to just change the way your body looks, that that argument doesn't hold as much weight because there's only so much your central nervous system can tolerate, right? And even with sports, even with skill sports, even if you're talking about a football lineman, a wide receiver, a wrestler, a boxer, fill in the blank, there's only so much hard training you can take. Even the people of Michael Phelps are going to talk about, I was just in the pool more. Kobe Bryant, the most crazy work ethic ever in the history of sports. He, even he knew, he's like, there's only so much sprints I can run. There's only so much like incredibly quick uh, turnarounds and pivot shots I could do. A lot of times I just got to be getting my stroke. I mean, I'm just, maybe I'm practicing free throws, whatever it is. I'm not saying don't spend your life doing, committing to what you're doing, but understand that the kind of direct correlation between intensity and volume. You know, that's all there is to it. That's that's my overarching point. Yeah, I agree totally with that. Uh, do you think science of sport has changed that a little bit? Because you would overtraining is a real thing. Yeah, and you would hear people previously in grappling arts, especially more training the better, the harder the better. Run your head through a brick wall. Uh, stark contrast between that and bodybuilding because you'll tear your body down and you'll be a detriment to what yeah. you're trying to do. Correct? Yeah, it, it is. And but that's only recent bodybuilding. You know, if you look at like the, the golden era, what they call the golden era is late 60s and the 70s. Even in the early 80s, you go, go back and look at some of those magazines. Um, dudes were training so, I mean, they're doing so many sets, so much volume. But I don't think it's really important to get into the weeds of it about like, well, how much is too much versus. The reality is, is that it's just not something... I, I do subscribe to the argument that the best swimmers are always in the pool. The best basketball players spend more time shooting. The best basketball the best basketball players spend more time in the court. The best grapplers are on the mat more. That's that's there's no way. But I want to have a start. Con I want to push back on that a little bit. Yeah, David Taylor right now. Yeah, 
probably could be the best wrestler in the world, arguably. He's C- certainly arguably. Arguably. Training less. Focus is more on family, his faith, and his farm. Okay. And, you know, Flo just did an interview with him and talked to him about it and said, would you ever believe that you're at your best, performing at your best, when you're wrestling isn't the center of your life? And it was such an interesting thing to me yeah. where it's like, oh, like maybe there is some other components. And maybe it's not physical. No. Uh, well, that, that, okay. That's a great point. That is actually a, an incredibly good point. And I'm glad you brought that up. Because also, again, getting back to Faraz Sahabi, he talks about how he read a book. God damn it. I wish I could remember the name of the book. But it was about a famous archery coach for, for U.S. athletes and Canadian athletes. And he would win more medals by tapering off the training and forcing his athletes to visualize. Okay, so they're doing the mental, spiritual work more. They were doing physical work less. And they, they were crushing. Okay, and, and Frost talked about how, I think it's With Winning in Mind was the name of the book. I wish I could remember the, the author's name. But I became aware of this book because I heard an interview that Frost Zahabi did. So I read this book, and it was it was fascinating. And the science is in now with, uh, you know, kind of training, neural training. So my question with David Taylor would be, yes, okay, the brass tacks of it. He's going to practice less. But how is would does that necessarily mean that wrestling isn't as big a part of his life? Like, is his conditioning on point? Is he meditating, working breathing exercise? Is he probably... Um, is he probably a little bit more purposeful about recovery, which also could factor into, you know what I'm saying? Like, because when I was 22, I was fucking stupid. I would follow up my uh, weight training with a pickup basketball game just because, and then wash it down with beers. Now I'm training less, but I'm hitting the sauna. I'm going to sleep on time. I'm uh, making sure to do my nasal breathing when I'm out working with the animals. So technically I'm lifting weights way less but i'm way more committed in my everyday life day in and day out moment to moment to my health so i wonder if there there could be some component of that with david taylor adapting it rolling it into your life also something about like age and experience that's true and also how about being happy that's what i was gonna come to (laughs) i i have to think that if you like there's this isn't open for debate you can't get to the level that David Taylor's at, especially in the sport of wrestling, without being an incredibly driven person. He's obviously very committed to what he loves to do. So just by tweaking the fact that he's showing up on the mats very happy and fulfilled, outside of his, like, take skill away. He's already achieved a great level of skill. He's already proven he's very disciplined and very driven. Now add in, like, oh, I have a, a reason to live and purpose in my life because I, I spend a lot of good quality time with my family. Because, like, how many times have we seen the alternative? Someone is working as hard as they can, and they're really doing everything they possibly can, but they're going through a fucking divorce, or or their kid's got a drug problem, you know, and and, they're, and everything just goes straight downhill. Which is where I think MMA has huge advantages over traditional grappling sports in the way that they're practiced. I think there's something detrimental about the team, in a way, and I know teams are usually used to bring people up, yeah. but there's something about that room and the anxiety and the stress and, like... You're kind of all there together going through the, the misery together. Yeah. But I think it's compounding misery. Like you, you build bonds there. You, you work through there. But there's something about like someone looking over you yeah. and guiding you through like the ups and the downs. 
and like monitoring you there where I think people get lost well, sometimes that, in team sports. That's a really compelling argument. And I think that the only thing I can, um, the only thing I can really compare it to is recovery because I found with 12 step that, that there's a big component of that too. Like meetings and the community is vital and it's saved my life and it's kept me clean. But it also, if you if you allow it, it can just be this morose room full of fucking misanthropes who are all dry drunks, you know? So I think a lot of it is about, like, well, what team are you at? Um, because wrestling in, in particular, is it is kind of professional suffering. It's so hard. And I, and I think, like, tr- old-school wrestling coaches in particular, I, 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 aside from all of their grappling sports, old-school wrestling coaches... There is an argument to be made in, in glaring contrast to me talking about like there's only so much hard training you can do. You know, Kobe Bryant had the kind of the same ethic that an old school boxing coach or an old school wrestling coach would have, where it's like, well, if you do go past beyond that point of no return, imagine how easy a fight's going to be. And because wrestling's just wrestling, like the lifestyle, there's no, nothing compares to that. There's you get you uh, Muay Thai fighters. They'll be like, "Oh, that's the most brutal sport." And left way and boxing. Talk boxers love to talk about how brutal boxing is. And there's arguments to all that. As far as like the life, nothing compares to wrestling. It's the hardest shit ever. Constantly competing, constantly trying to make weight. The uh, the team component you're talking about. You have other savages where it's iron sharpening iron, and everyone, and and conditioning is such a massive component of it. That you just never feel like you've done enough. Now that's what Donaher brings up too. He always says like you, your confidence comes through your conditioning and yeah. it comes through your defense. Yeah. Where like you know you can escape from anything. You know you can keep going. Yeah. So like you find confidence in that, and then that your confidence then inspires the creativity. Right. Um. And yeah, I think you're right. Like finding the right team. Yeah. I think uh, looking back on some of my. Uh, athletic career like I think at certain times I was in the wrong team or maybe I wasn't being the best teammate to receive that like love affection uh, companionship to help you move forward through all of that I think because it's it's so much a team and an individual sport so like you don't it's it's hard to know where to put that emphasis yeah you know and professional wrestlers like like WWE wrestlers talk about that too where you know, they have the, like, the locker room, there's, like, the locker room leaders, and, like, there's the guys who are cancers, and, like, it doesn't matter how much pop they would get. There's the, where, like, people go through phases where, you know, Stone Cold, like, what was he, Stunning Steve before he was Stone Cold Steve Austin? He had a career before he was Stone Cold, and then what changed, he said, it was, like, obviously Vince, like, they got this, like, the anti-hero, it was perfect, right time, right place, right time. He's like, but a lot of it was, like, I finally became able to, I wasn't just such this desperate journeyman, I changed my attitude, you know, I was willing to, like you said, there's a, there's something to, I think a lot of us, especially dudes, I don't know about you ladies out there, I think a lot of us, where we struggle with, I have no problem giving gifts. It's really hard receiving gifts sometimes, right? You go, you go around the holidays, people, you're like, oh, dude, you didn't have to do that. And you start to feel weird. Even if it's a, something you really like, you really, you're like, I love, but I, I, you start to feel weird. There's, I think there's something about that spiritually too, where it's like, I don't, I don't mind giving you a ride, taking you to the airport, helping you move, and then taking you out to lunch and listening to your problems because you're my boy, right? You know? But now I, I don't want you investing this much effort into me. I feel weird, right? Receiving love starts to get weird. 
And maybe there's something to that, right? Like making the right team, being the right teammate. It's not just about being a leader and being good and showing up early and leaving late and making sure you act like a leader, but it's also like maybe having that ability to receive. You know? Yeah, I, I agree with you 100% there with that ability to receive. I don't know if it's something about control. Yeah. Like when you're always giving, you're always fixing the problems, you're always the last line of defense. There's a like a control or a manliness or an assurance in that in some way. And yeah. then when you receive a gift, like even if you, like I said, even if you really like it, you, your mind goes, Oh, can you afford this? Or you could have spent that on something else or you didn't have to like, yeah. it's this self suffering that, that I don't know if you reward that inside ourselves. It's just, I, I'm, for me, it's a self flagellation. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's like, I don't deserve this. And I really wish you wouldn't have made the, cause now it's a scene Right, even if it's just you two, right? You know, and I. By the way, this isn't just for like casual relationships. Like this is for my wife, even. You know, she'll, and I'll be like, oh god, I just, I don't know, know if I can necessarily express properly how much I appreciate it. It just it makes me feel weird. Whereas if I give someone something, it's just I'm fine. I don't seem to have my heart rate affected in any way. Um, so that and you know that's. Uh, not to keep beating a dead horse, but to go back to the Shaq and Kobe thing, it's like you now are, especially after his passing, you're going to hear all the legend of Kobe, but you're not going to hear a lot about how much of a great teammate he was. He was a, I think he was an inspiration to a lot of guys because they saw how hard he worked and they were like, you're the richest guy. You're the most famous guy and you're still outworking all of us. Like, I think that was, but you're, you can go now and just hear an endless stream of how great Shaquille O'Neal is. He's the greatest guy ever. Oh, my, my favorite person playing with Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if it was Bench Scrub, who I was like, I think he played for the Lakers, to uh, Robert Ory. They all they're like, no, Shaq's the greatest teammate there is. You know, and so. Why do you think it is? Like, there's a stark, or stark contrast between those two. Shaq, you know, he obviously one of the best uh, big men in the NBA ever, changed the NBA in that sense, but he's not going to go down like Kobe. He's not no. going to go down in the history of NBA like Kobe will. And everyone talks about Kobe being like this, this hardworking, unstoppable person, but is that a little selfish? Yes. And you talk about Shaq, everyone loved playing with Shaq, also still thought of as one of the best scorers, best men ever. Like, where's the difference there? Like, what what is optimized? Like, what is... You know, I, I think a lot of it is is a lot of it's upbringing. I would imagine. It's like just how many trillions of experiences do we all have? Not just Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe. How many trillions of experiences do you have from, from from as far back as you can remember till the time you get to start being an adult and making decisions on your own? How the way you interact with different people, the way your dad treated you, the way your mom treated you, the way your siblings treated you, the either maybe not having some of the aforementioned relationships. You don't have a dad. You don't have mom. You don't have uh, drug abuse, your relationship with food, how many, tr you know, hundreds of thousands of meals you eat. And like, if you don't have a good relationship with that um, romance, right? If you're, especially for professional athlete, some professional athletes get to the NBA and they, they haven't got laid yet. I mean, I'm not, maybe not technically laid yet, and, uh, but they they don't got they have no game. Some dudes we know in all sports, have they been getting laid since they were zygotes? You know, and that changes how you act like a person, right? You know? There's different levels of getting laid too. No, 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 you're right. But but I mean, like for instance, I I'm gross. Okay, I am the mo openly I love chicks so much and punting so much. It's the most important thing by far. Okay, 
but you're not going to hear the like you may hear the like uh you know crazy on air shit where i'm like oh take show me your tits the but you're not going to hear the like bill cosby harvey weinstein shit about me not because i'm so much better than them as human i'm not trying to pass judgment what i am saying is like i got through that in seventh grade and i know plenty of dudes my age they like literally never had interactions with girls and that changes you as a man, right? If you're, if, if, let's just analyze a lot of these guys we're seeing that are getting brought forward with a lot of this really negative treatment of women. Not a lot of fucking Dave Navarro's in there, is there? Not a lot of uh, Mario Lopez's. In Not there. a single one. Right. Not a lot of NBA players, rock stars. It's usually kind of comics that aren't necessarily let's be honest like the most attractive fellas a lot of like hollywood executives that aren't necessarily the most attractive dudes they found success another way mm -hmm. not necessarily through their looks or their charisma or personality and then there's a the tipping of the scale i right. guess in a way they're, they're much more valuable now as a man than they were previously because of their job and and, and this isn't a i don't want to make it a specific gender slant thing but like look at all these like really angry feminists a lot of them it's like man i i don't even listen to what you're saying because i'm just thinking in my head i was like man how bad have you been treated your whole like guys have probably been so fucking mean to you you know overweight unattractive person and you know you got to think of like harvey weinstein there's zero excuse to even get into the territory of the shit that he's accused of it's fucking preposterous bill cosby the same way but you have to imagine Harvey Weinstein in particular, he's a perfect example. And uh, and uh, who's the the CBS? Les Moonves. Before they were Harvey Weinstein and Les Moonves, how did women treat them? <laughs> Nothing. Did they did they even they know did. they existed? It, it, the only time they acknowledged them was to make fun of them. Like, let's be realistic, right? How that dramatically changes how you how you look at the world. I've heard uh, Adam Levine. This is off the top of my head. I mean, I'm not like a big Maroon. I'm not a hater, but I'm not like a big Maroon 5 fan. But he stuck in my mind because he went to high school with Jonah Hill. So Adam Levine will play humble and shit. And he's like, and Jonah Hill talks about it. He's like, that guy's been a coxman since he was fucking in junior. You know what I'm saying? He's in junior high. He's fucking Adam Levine. You know you do. So I, I, I just think like it's it's very weird to see like two, because I would imagine Jonah Hill was probably treated pretty differently than, than Adam Levine, you know? Um, and that, that I think that makes it, I think Shaquille O'Neal outside of his, he's so fucking extraordinarily dominant basketball. And I, you people, if you're like 25 and under, you really don't understand. I don't think you get where the entire league had to figure out how to program for Shaq. He wasn't a good basketball player. He the all other teams were like, okay, when we play the Lakers on Saturday, like Shaq's got forty. All right, well, let's just let's just say he gets thirty-five. Let's just account for that. What are we gonna do for everything else? And there was no stopping him. He was so fucking dominant. But aside from that, he's so charismatic and funny, and I think he's like kind of a childlike. You know, in a, in well, a, let me share this Shaq story real quick. It's a compliment. So he was DJing uh, this festival recently, yeah. and he screws up in the middle of it. Okay, and it's it's kind of a train wreck. It's pretty bad. But he gets on the mic and he goes, "Sorry guys, I hit the mixer with my dick." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> See? And then he goes, at least you know I'm mixing live. Yeah. And then plays the song again. But I'm just like, yes. You, 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 in a horrible, embarrassing moment in a, in a, in an avenue that you're not super confident in. Right. And you screw up. Yeah. And you save it. Cause you're, he's, he's got that in him and you see that in him when you see him talk, when he's, you know, announcing for the NBA or anything else. And yeah, it comes off great. And I guess it, it, eventually coming full circle is like, does that come from him being more selfless or was his abilities and his gifts kind of came from like a chicken or egg? You know what I'm saying? It's chicken. And I think it's just like, you can't calculate this. And I think that's what bugs me the most about like self-help stuff is that, there's no accounting for how wildly different all of our experiences are. And I mean, on like really incalculable, the trillions and trillions of little experiences we have that just stack up and make for who we are. And then therefore how you're going to react to all these different situations. It's like, yeah, I, you know, uh, you hear these stories about Shaquille O'Neal and like another thing that really impresses me about Shaq is that he's not telling any of these stories. He's not good. But Mark Matson tells a story about like, Shaq just bought him a car because, like, he was, <laughs> and everybody's making fun of him. He's like, dude, you, you understand? Like, he pulled him aside. He's Shaquille O'Neal. He's not like some other player. He's like, you know, Madsen, you can't, you can't, like, do you have a suit? You know, we're going out with the boys. He's like, no, I don't, I don't have a suit. And, and Shaq's like, Come on. so he just, just took him to Beverly Hills and got him, like, suits. And here you go. And, like, he's like, where's, where's your car? Matt's like, here's my, you know, 93 Camry. He's like, the fuck, whoa. And we like went and bought him a Benz. Like Shaq's like, you can't do, you can't be like, that. and, but he knew he could, you know? So, and you hear all these stories. It's like, what makes the greatest, it's the same thing. Like, look, and I, I mean this with, with not like he's going to hear this or anything, but I, I meant for my listeners who think that I'm like crying over spilled milk or like shitting on the people who are the legends of, of my line of work. Right. Because when you hear uh, 90s basketball players shit on Michael Jordan, you're like, shut up. You know, you're like, but in reality, like, let's take time to listen. I mean this as, uh, with all due respect to the king, but I listen to, uh, I'm a lifelong Stern fan, and I hear about his life, and I've read his books, and what he did to become Howard, which is, he is undeniably the greatest broadcaster that's ever lived. Anyone who says otherwise doesn't know what they're talking about. As I make a living, do he's the greatest. He revolutionized the industry and still continues to be so sharp. Technically, you could say personality-wise, he's gotten softer and he's become what he used. Fine, fine, whatever. Howard's woke. I don't. I'm saying when it comes to cracking a mic and kicking ass, he's still the greatest ever. He's so good. He's so clever and funny and uh, thoughtful, but. He'll tell you, I never change a diaper. Like, I make the money. I'm Howard Stern. My wife knew. And he's talking about, it, obviously, his ex-wife, who he had his children with. He's like, she had to take care of the kids. She had to. When I got home from work, I was so exhausted. I was like, I don't even deal with me, you know? And uh, I don't want to do that, even if it meant I could be Howard Stern. Okay? You know, so does that take, and it's like, can you talk about what it took to be Kobe Bryant? Maybe Vince Carter, uh, who name you know, uh, Stephon Marbury or something, you know, maybe his contemporaries, maybe they're like, fine, I'm willing to be me and not have to sacrifice my entire life to be Kobe, you know. Ah, it's so hard to believe that, though. Yeah. Because you know every elite athlete, you don't get to that elite point without 
having the dreams of being even better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, I, and, and um, God knows how many people maybe had what it took and they just like, you know what? I'm, I'm good. You know? I see it in comedy. I mean, I've seen I've seen it a lot too. I've I guess. seen it in comedy, especially. I and mean, there's probably people you know, probably people mm-hmm. you think, where you're like, oh, it, when it comes to getting on stage and killing, they may be as good as anybody, but they don't want to play this game. They don't want to be modern comic guy. Whatever it takes to. And I saw it in the '90s with uh, not, not like I, I was not in the industry yet but i would see it around because i grew up such a fan and i also grew up in uh, close enough to the comedy store in the strip i could go to the improv i could go to the ice house in pasadena i used to go just for fun if i didn't have shit to do i'd go have drinks at the ice house and stuff and you would see like these guys like the the domereras and stuff who were so funny they were as good as but they didn't want to be ray romano like they didn't want to get a sitcom they really, you know, and that was what you had to do back then to, to kind of, go yeah, that was the lane. Then that was, that was the goal. You had, the sitcom. You, had, you had to get on t- with Leno or Letterman. You had to get your couple minutes and you had to showcase it there. You had to get people to see you to do that. And then they would offer you a sitcom and the development deal, you know, they didn't want to do it. And I have to believe that in football, baseball, basketball, rugby, soccer, it, uh, fill in blank, that there's probably dominant motherfuckers that are just like, yeah, but, uh, then everybody's going to pay attention to me and I don't really want that. And I'm cool. Like I'm going to go sell insurance or whatever it is, you know, I think I'm projecting a little here, but I, I waffle back and forth between that all the time of like wanting the attention, wanting to be alone, wanting to like not necessarily be that person, but like have that kind of attention on you. Yeah. Well, who doesn't want attention? I think it's, it's dangerous uh, and I talk about it a lot with my attic friends, especially, especially open, because I certainly don't want to ever uh, talk out of school. You know, addiction is right there in in the 12 steps of, of anonymity. But someone like Steve-O, who's like, we all know he's in recovery and, and he's been, and he and I will talk off the air and on the air about it. And he, you know, Steve-O was like, I'm, I, there's a reason why I do what I do for a living. I was just so desperate for attention. And he always would, for a long time, have like this negative uh, take on it and I was like yeah you were so desperate for attention that you were willing to do anything even hurt yourself right to get it often hurt himself often <laughs> but at the same time like you get a lot of really positive attention and what's the because it's not it, for a time it got really negative like he was just so out of control that people were paying attention he was on TMZ doing negative things but like I'll watch Steve-O jump into a ceiling fan on loop and still always laugh my ass off. There'll never be a time when him and Pontius going, pretending to be chum and getting fucking bit by having shrimp in their, in their G strings. Like there's never a time that's not funny and I don't want to see it. It's amazing. And it's pot to me. It's like, is it goofy? Is it sophomoric? Fine. It's still positive attention because I'm positively paying attention to this guy. Right. And I see it a lot with, like, hot chicks, okay? If you are a hot chick and you love showing off your body, you work hard to take care of yourself, and and you love being pretty, and you love the attention, and you can take your photo shoots or do whatever you want to do with that and come away from it feeling good about yourself, and you're really happy that you're lucky enough to have this attention, bravo. 
if you're desperate and you do OnlyFans and you don't really want to and you're you're putting yourself out there just to pay the bills, like that's where it's like there 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 is a fine line. Attention is not this monolithic thing, you know. And like, I think if like you see a lot of influencers, they'll engage in really reprehensive behavior, but they're like, it gets me clicks. Is that because they're they they can't deviate? from what's been successful or they're so scared to go on to what's next that they're kind of like holding on to this like flash in the pan notoriety in a way and these big like these giant gestures or giant stunts it seems like that's all there is now i yes i don't know i mean i don't know if i'm qualified to like make that distinction what i do know is like we all want attention and anybody who says they don't is lying they, or they have something really profound to hide. Your people don't want any attention. Because I understand not wanting to be a star. I get that. I personally, I'm not saying I could have been a star, but I've made choice. I've turned down TV shows. I've turned down, I've gone away from doing certain things that would get me more attention. You stepped off the path of what everyone thought you're supposed to keep going yeah. and doing. You you deviated from because that. Because I don't want, I mean, I, I actually think it would sacrifice my quality of life but that's just me but i still want attention i want attention just as much as i want money you want it because people giving you positive attention means that there's something good going on right and i don't think it's like his motivation but like jocko gets a lot of attention David Goggins gets a lot of attention. And Joe Rogan I, gets a lot of attention. Those are two very good examples right there because they get a lot of positive attention. Yeah. They both get a lot of negative attention. Yeah. They often get negative attention from men in similar positions of them or formerly in similar positions of them. Yeah. I would say. And I don't know if that comes across as, I was wondering if it comes across as jealousy or if it comes across as like something else there. Like I, I, I don't. I think there's. There's probably something primal because I see it. You see it in radio a lot, especially I would imagine it's probably similar because I see it in my friends that are comics way more than any other industry. It's the most territorial pissy industry I've ever been around. I frankly couldn't believe it. More comics are worse to each other than athletes. Oh yeah. Comics are worse to each other than strippers. Yeah. It's hardcore. It's bad. Like they, they'll a lot of love and face, but like every, Everything is a competition. Yeah. Every, like, whose spot on the list? Where you're sitting? How many freak drink, drink tickets did you get? Like, yeah. I, it's, it's really territorial, and it's really competitive. And um, and that's why I always go out of my way to openly promote the people who I've seen without trying to show. I, I was fly on the wall when they were not that guy. Like, I've seen Theo be just, like, the most nice person that has no fucking shit talk about anyone i hate interrupting but that's another funny theo story yeah i was just listening to theo the other day and it's kind of short but he just said sometimes he doesn't even know that he's like being funny and his brain will make a joke just for him yeah and then he laughs and i was like that's so perfect yeah that's in a way that's like like it's like an, a runner at the peak of their of their physical like it's just it's breathing yeah he's just living and he's just cracking himself up and i'm like I don't know, it's, it's really inspiring. He said in to way. Shane Gillis, like this wasn't for the air or even anything. It wasn't for the stage or the air. He said to Shane Gillis, like off the air, he's like, 
how long did Hitler have to drive to the Holocaust? Like, what was his commute to the... And he said, Shane said on the air, he's like, I, fu- I was fucked up for the whole week just thinking about how, like, that there, like, that he had a commute, like, like the Holocaust was his office. And he's like, all right, yeah, things are going well. But that's the, like, he's like, of course, the, like, I don't think Hitler was going to Poland to check in on Auschwitz. But, like, Theo's like, how long is his commute to the Holocaust? It's funny. It's just funny. Um, but I've seen Theo, like, one time I was auditioning for this show they wanted spike wanted to do another mma based show and they wanted to be mma guy and comic how many times has that been tried oh, a, million. <laughs> a million times right and uh god rest his soul stefan bonner was the was the host was the mma host and they were bringing in a collection of different funny people and then i had already started hosting loveline so people had heard me offhandedly talking on the air uh, I think being me yeah, being like a hosty, funny guy, but also that I was really in MMA. Because like, there's been zero times I've had Scott Coker or a Dana White on the air, be in studio or on the phone, where they're not like, "Oh wow, you're like really a big fan." <laughs> yeah, like, yes, people, yes, no, I'm a sincere fan. And when people don't know, Spike TV was the home of MMA before yeah, ESPN came through. Like, Spike TV was where you saw people fight. So they had Stephen Bonner on. Uh, on this studio and then there's a green room of all these comics and and other people dude and i remember like frank rillo was leaving when i came in and i was like oh, be, he was pretty good because he's, he's really into combat sports so they wanted a a, a fighter uh, essentially fighter and the kid before fighter the kid but and then they would do like tosh point no but it would all be combat sports based clips it was actually a funny idea and i think it could have worked i'd watch that now yeah i would too if they made that if there was a you know force griffin wants to get around with me and do a Tosh.0 style combat show. Breaking down key parts of fights, but being able to show replays, I think that's one of the biggest things that MMA is kind of missing. Because well, they kind of gatekeep that. Because you're seeing with, with TikTok and YouTube shorts how popular that shit is. Like, you can watch an eight-second knockout. You know, you're like, whoa, 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 I gotta, let me see that again, you know? <laughs> Haven't we always known that since, like, uh, America's Funniest Home Videos? Yeah. Like, it's just, we've always been addicted to it. It's just a different, different vessel. It's a weird thing, though. It's a weird thing. Like, because we also like to stop ourselves when it comes to brain injuries. Like we're seeing dudes like you and me who are willfully going in to let people beat us up. We were talking before we got going about like, let's compare the collection of big brutes that beat the shit out of us this week, you know? And we're like, watch power slap. We're like, what the fuck is this? You know, you have to pump. There's a level where you go, okay, we're going too far for, for clickbait honestly steve-o's the perfect like explanation for the perfect metaphor for that in a way because like he went from like being the craziest things you could do like but still within reason and like fun and then he eventually went over into power yeah, where it's like it's not cool yeah exactly yeah, it's like this just it's gonna hurt you but but i saw okay so we have stefan bonner and he's in the in the studio and they're just bringing different people in like around robin and in the green room it's all mostly comics with me now because they were comics, they didn't know me. But because the comics that were there that didn't know me also didn't know that I'd hosted a radio show that had comics coming through all the time. And at that exact same time, my wife is on a TV show with Dalia, Ron Funches, Rick Glassman, Brent Morin. It, the whole ca- other cast was comics, working LA stand-ups. 
and I was really close with, you know, go down the list, like uh, Callen and, and Dalia and, and, and Glassman and uh, Eddie Ift and, and Rogan before the, the show. I mean, we're not like best buddies. I'm not trying to name drop, but they would come on the radio show a lot, and I knew them, and I liked them all, and I knew them as people. So there's this room full of comics who don't I don't necessarily know, and they're auditioning for this show, and they're talking about all the other shit they're auditioning for, and they are just shitting on all other comics. And I wish I could remember who these people were, because I might know who they are now. I didn't at the time know who any of these people were in the room, except for Theo Vaughn, who's sitting in the corner, not saying a goddamn thing, except for every once in a while, I'd be like, I like that guy. He's good. <laughs> got pretty hair he's got that hair that comes out their ears that them ear hitters like, the ear yeah you know you just say some theo shit yeah, exactly. and these guys are like did you see gerard's new show gerard carmichael's new show yeah he wasn't ready he wasn't ready i mean i like the guy but let's let's be honest he's not he's not good yeah what yeah, is he's it, not good he's what does everybody have to like micromanage every other comics career yeah yeah it's 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 like you're their trainer almost and that's what that's what they were doing, and they were doing they were like Reddit before Reddit, all <laughs> shitting on everybody else. And I just watched as they did that, and Theo's in the corner, just not engaging. And I always like to tell it because I was like he he didn't chime in, he didn't hear a name, he recognized and go no, he's he was kind of like I could see, not he's like I don't want to be involved in this, you know, <laughs> critiquing of, and uh, and another guy is, is Sam Tripoli and and Brian Callen. Behind the scenes with nobody looking for no other reason. All they do is put on other people. All they want to do is talk positively and get more attention. For, they've, I've never heard them shit on people. Ever. Callan is one of the nicest people yeah. I've ever met. He does, like, There's no classism in him no. in any way. He will talk to whoever, wherever, give you his full attention, look at you in the eyes. And it, it, it's great. Like He'll remember things about you. It's like just such a genuinely good dude. I, I like, I like Brian very much. I like Brian and I, and Sam. Sam Tripoli is just quietly one of the biggest supporters of all people. If you want to be in comedy, if you've never done an open mic, or if you are fucking Dave Chappelle, Sam Tripoli will devote his day to trying to get you spots. Sam Tripoli will drive you to that open yeah. mic. If you meet him on the street and be like, I've thought about doing comedy, but like, get in my car right now. It's weird, too, because he's like a savage dude. Like, Sam's hardcore but also he's like the most thoughtful guy but it's in a world of massive shit talkers i just like to always say like i've never heard them say a negative thing about anybody he may maybe if they have negative shit to say they they're pretty pretty uh, tight-lipped about it you know there was an interesting shit talk going on recently yeah did you watch the cat williams shay pod i did a lot of, lot well, of shit talking okay. about i didn't watch it I watched all the highlights where people isolated every person that he talked to. Yeah, and, and hyperclipped all of them together, so he just makes like one continuous. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out on a limb here, and I'm not. Look, I'm not Michael Ovi. I'm not like some big Hollywood insider, but I do think that Black Hollywood is not that far away from child actor Hollywood, where there are people who are just looking to be like modern minstrel acts like they find talented black men and they're like put them in fucking dresses make them dance like crazy idiot you know what i'm saying like like cerebral really sharp focused comedy they're like no no not for you blackie like i do think there is a cabal of like wealthy hollywood people that are that enjoy exploiting black men 
I, I, I think that is a thing. Yeah, and it's it's it, it's it's weird the way he talks about it and the black men who will go along with it. Yeah. So like that kind of like shook to me. And the fact that he was just like Kevin Hart's a plant. <laughs> the only the, here's here's my only pushback on that. Is that before Kevin Hart broke before he broke big, I did see the guy was grinding. Always, he was grind. the he was the guy who grind. Yeah, he was the guy who did a year here and then a year in theaters and then finally went to the arena. He was friends with The Rock, and The Rock would always just talk about how hard this man worked, how how his schedule was up at four a.m. every day, kind of thing. He was doing like radio ad blocks for Power One Hundred Six, which is the hip hop station in in Los Angeles. And I was friends with like the entire community, so like I saw him when before he was a list Kevin. He was working really, like, not sleeping, working really hard. So, I find it hard to believe that you can completely be a plant when you devoted your entire life with an insane work ethic to getting to something. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's hard to... Yeah, like, he he did bring up some examples of how Kevin's career accelerated very quickly, but there is a lot of that hard work in there as well. And I do find Kevin Hart funny. Like, he told us uh, one of his old comedy specials, this is many, many specials ago, about his, his kid running away. And I remember running away or wanting to run away as a child. Yeah. And you're packing up all your toys. <laughs> like, and you're running away back. And he's like, I'm like, oh, that, that's exactly like you somehow. You would never ha- take anything useful. You would, t- as a child, you're yeah, taking like. Yeah, yeah. But the same thing goes, by the way, I tried to run away when I was like a teenager and I took like porn. Like, you, you know, and I was. Well. You know that could be useful, it w- but I didn't take like a flint and like uh, like a like a jacket, you know like it. You know that that what's that naked and afraid? Uh-huh. I was talking to of all people. I was talking to Tim Kennedy about it because I was like, I got to get your take on this. Shit. Have you met Justin? Who's been Justin on Justin Wren? Yeah, uh, I know him, but no, I not Justin Wren. Justin, uh, uh, oh, what's his last name? Yeah, well, no, he is Wren. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's the guy who does the the water for kids in Africa. He used to be at him. No, not the big baby. Justin. Oh, I forget. He's on Naked and Afraid twice. Oh, oh no, I forget his name. He's a local. He's a comic now. Yeah. So he was a he was like him. He's a special forces sniper. Went on Naked oh. and Afraid, and now he's doing comedy. Uh, Justin, I'm really sorry. I'm forgetting your last name right now, but uh, he's a local or uh, local Texas guy. Oh, doing okay. Really, well, I'm, I'm sure. I, listen. It's weird, but my friend network in this Governor, sorry, there you go. Governor, oh, Justin yeah, Governor. I, yes. I know the name. I know the name. I've never met the man. Um, my friend network in Texas now has become exclusively super high-ranking military, special for uh, former military, like special forces, MMA fighters, and comics. That's it, like that's it. And some of them are all three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. Uh, I, <laughs> there's another dude, a really handsome dude, who trains at Ten Plan Awesome, but he works it with Tim at Sheepdog. I forgot his name. Uh, Rail, tall white guy, oh. curly hair, beautiful, beautiful man. Oh, I know who you're talking um, about now. Super big chest. He's no. a, he's not a he's like he's in, uh, clearly in very good shape. I think he was a professional MMA fighter himself. Um. Oh, Andrew Craig. Andrew Craig, yes. Yeah, he works for Tim now. Andrew is one guy I think you should have on the podcast who's amazing. Because uh, he came up just as a frat guy yeah. at UT. Got an MMA, had a great MMA career, now coaches at 10th Planet. And yeah, he works for Tim. He handles all the, the brand dealing for Tim. I just, I I, I, I happened to see him because I recognize, I would see like, you know, that, that 10th Planet Austin crew post their stuff. And I have friends that train there, like mutual friends that kind of run that circle. And I would see his face around... And then I remember, I was like, I think he fought MMA. And then um, I was just training the other day at 
the sheepdog and I came out of the bathroom and he was just like walking along. I was like, oh, hey, man. I don't know him. So I was like, oh, hey. He's like, hey, how are you? And uh, I was like, do you work here now? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm working. I was running so-and-so for sheepdog. I was like, oh, awesome. Good. See you around, maybe. But I was thinking to myself, like, what a weird life that guy you know what i'm saying like there's these new this newfangled breed of like easily approachable but i could beat the shit out of everybody in the room guys but they, but they have this like light-hearted eyes yes, like a teddy yes, bear like, yes. like i feel comfortable with you yeah. i don't feel nervous like it's great yeah it's a weird thing but it is cool i embrace it i embrace it very much but i think that they're getting back to like the the center of what we were talking about is that i do think Attention is like sex. If you say you don't want it, you're full of shit. But at the same time, there is many shades of it, and getting it at all costs, I think, comes with a price. That's my best analogy for it. No, I, I couldn't have said that, but I agree completely. Like, it, I think often I just wonder, like, is the is it worth the price? I think we all like take that internal. Well, just like sex, I've gotten attention that wasn't worth it, and I've certainly had sex that wasn't worth it. I've definitely had plenty where I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. Dancing with Stars is a perfect example. I was like, they, all of a sudden, this executive producer, big deal, she calls me in. I come in her office. She goes, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. And I had started going back and forth to New York at the time to fill in for Regis. So, like, I was on ABC's radar. I had already met with people in... New York at the ABC studios. And then this lady in, in LA, she was calling me and I said, uh, hi, nice to meet you. And I'm, we're just having like this meeting and she goes dancing with the stars. I go, yeah. She goes, what do you think of it? I go, it's super popular. Yeah. I remember it was like 2010, you know, it's like huge. And she goes, yeah. What do you think about doing the show? And I go, Oh, Bergeron leaving. She's like, no, no, no. Being a contestant. I was like, no, she went on. I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't. I don't want to do it. I'm not a celebrity, and, and I'm not a star, and I don't know how to dance. And it seems like a bad idea. She's like, yeah, but it's everyone's in on the joke. It's positive attention. You just yeah, you have fun with it, right? No one was in on the joke. Those celebrities trained so hard not to embarrass themselves in those some dancing. Of, <laughs> some of the people that got invited on the show were not. They they got uh. everyone in making the show. They're all the pro dancers, all the cast. I mean, all the um, crew, all the producers. Are, oh, they they're like, dude, is ballroom dancing? What are you fucking crazy? Like, that guy's an NFL football player. That's a playmate. Like, we're, we're, let's have some fun with the shit, you know? And they turn on the juice and they make your outfits. They're they're all in. And she said, the lady Dina Katz, I love her very much. She's a, she's very good to me, and she's very kind, and she always has been. She's always been very straightforward. And she said, like, no, it's have fun with it and it's a, a bunch of attention and uh i thought and spent and thought about it. I, was like, I don't know and then there my agent called me and he's like they're paying you this much and i was like i don't know so then they call me back like i said i still said i don't know they call me back like two hours later he's like they'll pay you this much i was like okay i'll do it but then so i was like i'm doing this <laughs> i'm doing this for attention right and because i don't inherently want to but i'm doing it for attention ended up being fun and I ended up absolutely not regretting any of it. I've absolutely done the alternative. Not so much. I was lucky enough to have my career in radio all the time when I was doing TV to not have to do stuff on TV just for attention. But I've definitely done stuff 
while being on TV that was purely to get attention, to get heat. And uh, in retrospect, I'm like, nah, I should have done that. It's like a mob mentality. Because yeah. once you're getting the attention, it's fueling. It's like a fire underneath you. You end up doing stuff you never thought you'd do. Yeah. And I run, and I'm not, I'm a weird dude in the sense that all this stuff I regret doing on TV was usually not yelling at people. I regret not arguing with certain people because I was like, this will play a lot better if I just go along with whatever this bag of wind is saying. And uh, every time I've actually lost my cool, or not lost my cool, but dug my heels in and got in arguments, I've never once come away from it regretting it. I regretted my behavior when I was arguing with this one lady one time. I think I've told this story where she was talking about like how there's this video out. Of, it was out of Oakland, and it was this dude who was clearly very ill, very mentally ill, black guy, but he was carrying a machete around the Bay Area, just walking through the streets. And so, granted, immediately they call the cops, and the cops get and they did they didn't beat the shit out of him, but they he had a machete and he wouldn't put it down, and they didn't shoot him, and they tackled him and they they accosted him, you know. And this lady was on a TV show with me on CNN or HLN, one of the two, same building. She's like, you could see this is just another example of white supremacy in police work. And I don't, I was on live TV and I just fucking blew up on her. I regret, I don't regret pushing back on her. I regret the fact that I on live TV was like this, she was like that close to me in that seat and veins are coming out of my neck and I'm fucking yelling at her like I'm Vince McMahon pretending to be Mr. McMahon on Monday Night Raw. I was like, you are a stupid, exploitive, manipulative bitch. <laughs> and I regret that. I regretted that because I was like, that's not what, I actually detracted from my point, I think, rather than added to it, you know? Yeah, you let your emotions over overtake you. Yeah. Yeah, you weren't art probably as articulate as you normally are. But then there's times when I've absolutely destroyed career opportunities and I don't regret it one bit. I don't regret it because I, I go like, well, you are not hiring me because I was honest with you. Not because I'm an asshole. Like there's a, there's times when I'm trying to be an that You're just, uh, you're just being a soft ass Hollywood piece of shit. And uh, I don't regret those. Be you know, I, I actually was, I totally got reminded about this the other day out of nowhere. One thing I regret, real, I genuinely regret in my career is that there was some director, dude. I don't know this dude's name. Dr. Drew knows him. I, I should call Drew and ask. But I was at a party. And I was talking to Olivia Munn. I'm going to need a moment to think about that real yeah. quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's probably like 2000. Because I was engaged, but I wasn't married that's a way I can always kind of perceive. But but I knew Olivia. And she's flaming. Yeah, she's flaming hot. But I was talking to her. I was just, it, it, like, it was a fucking party. Like a cocktail party. And this guy came up to her and started talking shit. And not funny shit. He was just being a dick. This British dude with an ascot on. And I said, uh, that's a bit inappropriate. And then she kind of, she handled it very well. She was like, uh, I wish I could be more help. You know, I don't want to get into the nuts and bolts, but mm -hmm. he was p p fucking 
pushing at her. And uh, I did say something. I was like, hey, that's a little out of line, dude. But that was as far as I took it. And I regret, I regret not beating this dude up. Like, I should have fucking punched him in the face and thrown him in the pool because he was being such a dick for no other reason than he was, he had no, he didn't know her. And he just came up and just picked her out and just started talking shit to her. And uh, then he went on and did a blog post. This is totally like, I'm going to find this guy. And it's just, I'm not going to find him physically, but I'm going to find this whole, and I'm going to maybe, I'll text Olivia to, because I'm sure she's like, fuck that guy, you know, moved on. She, it probably was a blip on her radar. But then he did a blog post and went, Olivia Munt's, uh, Olivia Munt is a cunt. And just detailed about how, like, what a dismissive and, 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 and uh, condescending bitch she is in real. And I was like, whoa, I was there. That's not at all what happened. In fact, you're a piece of shit, and you're very lucky I didn't slap the shit out of you. I regret not hitting because he. There's a difference between like being a guy who doesn't pull any punches, and this guy just like is hurting inside and was searching for people to talk shit to. You know. I mean, when you're wearing an ascot, yeah, you kind of look like an asshat. And let let I mean, I know the elephant in the room right now. They're clearly gay. Like I didn't even think about that at all. Well, because like what well, straight British. what straight guy is like? I'm gonna I'm gonna embarrass someone. I'm gonna go around and like Olivia Munn. This you know like yeah you you don't randomly pick hot chicks to fucking destroy right? <laughs> no straight man would have been that disrespectful yeah. to Olivia Munn. <laughs> yeah yeah like singles and. Yeah, that that shit bothered me. But I, there was a show called X Factor. Remember X Factor? Mm-hmm. Okay. So they wanted me to host that shit. No, no, no they didn't want. Me, but I was in the running, and uh, it got to the point that I had a meeting with Simon Fuller at Simon Cowell's house. So I'm going to. I got the invite to Simon Cowell's house, and when I tell you, like it's exactly how you would think it is. However awesome you imagine Simon Cowell's house in the Hollywood Hills, it's way doper. Like he had the whole setup. It looks like nothing. You drive. I was driving through Brentwood, shooting Bel Air. You know, so get, well for those you who don't know, Bel Air is a kind of a gated community within Beverly Hills. It's like for people who Beverly Hills ain't good enough. There's Bel Air, okay. And so I'm driving up the hill into Bel Air, and I get to the top, and I'm looking at my phone i'm like there's no fucking because it's a wall like a nothing stucco wall and i'm like that can't be fucking simon cowles next to all these seven thousand square foot mansions i'm like i'll do there's like a button like a like a door well button on the wall of this nothingness wall and i go Beep. and i was like hi uh i'm here for a meeting with mr cowl like okay one moment please and that wall just opens just like okay i'm not this is no exaggeration like, are you I'm, going into mordor like what the yeah so this is like like bonville and shit i'm i'm totally not anyone who's ever been anyone who's ever seen or listening to this that has been to simon cowell's house you could try back me up on this so he opens and i was like oh and there's a some dudes not dude dudes washing bugattis 
as this door was, oh, I'm like, oh, sick, sickest. You go past the cars, this like this driveway, into the stake to a door, a, a actual physical door, which someone escorted me to. Now, or still doesn't look like much. You're still like, oh, this is kind of like a one story house. Like it does. Then I go in. I was like, oh fuck. It goes down the Hollywood Hill. Like, it's like three or four stories, but you only see. And infinity pool indoors that goes inside and outside into the the cliffs of the Hollywood Hills. And then it runs inside, and you can swim indoors if you want. But then it's just amazing rich person house. And I was like, holy shit. I ain't got one negative thing to say about my interactions with him personally. I know a lot of people have a lot of other shit to talk about. But to me, he was, he was cool. He should, Then he walks up. Drinking juice with his signature black shirt. He looks just like Simon Cowell. He's in a black shirt, V-neck, you know. And I was like, "Hey, dude, nice to meet you." He's like, "Thank you, thank you so much for coming." I was like, "Let's sit and discuss." You know? Chain smoking, right? With with like fresh squeezed juice. And then we go, and the other dudes are in there, and we're sitting around. And he's like, "What did you think of the show?" I was like, "I, I'll be honest with you, dude. Not a. I've never seen American Idol once in my life. I've never seen Survivor. I'm not a unscripted reality show guy. I don't watch any, and I don't know. So I don't have a lot of reference to say whether like this is the greatest or the worst competition show I've ever seen. Because I watch fuck around with Iron Chef a little bit, but that's about it for me, you know. And he's so he was cool still to this. Uh, my my honesty, you know. So we get to the end of the meeting, and he goes. Him and Simon Fuller, who's also like this big wig. They go. What we really want to make sure is that we just we we with this show in comparison to our other shows, America's Got Talent and American, we want to break free from this kind of like predictability, and we want to get a little edgy. We want a host, especially that can take some chances and be loose and be a little bit edgy. And I go, no, you don't. <laughs> now I've just come off this. Long meeting of being super honest with them and just being myself, and they seem to be sucking it up. Sure didn't work that time. They're like, what? I was like, well, no, you don't. I mean, yeah, you want this. You kind of want them to be edgy, but you really won't ever want them to cross the line. As a sit, I go, you're on live television on a network? I was like, you don't really want me to be edgy. You want me to maybe dress up like someone who's edgy, but... Yeah, how well did that work for Chris Stefano? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a great... And uh, and that was the last I ever heard from them. <laughs> and then next thing you know, I found out I did not get that job by watching Fox one day and saying like, coming Thursday, the X Factor. And I was like, oh, and it was Mario Lopez. That's my favorite way to find out you didn't get a job, though, is when you just see it happening somewhere else. And you're like, oh, I guess no one ever called me back about that. I was having this conversation with Jason Ellis the other day when I flew back to LA. And, and I was saying like- That was a great episode, by the way. Oh, I thanks, just want to interrupt that. Like, he, he's an amazing person, you two together top-notch yeah and tully like don't forget michael tully is like such a good andy richter to jason's cone like they work so well together and i i always love being with those guys um but thank you and i was talking about with him where like uh you know <laughs> they they need to really be a little bit more honest about the, the hollywood machine what I mean by that is that even the most bullshit uh, company line, partisan, super plant, Illuminati fucking 
lifelong K Street congressperson or member of the cabinet, most politi- all politicians will at least go, yeah, this is a dirty business. I'm the honest guy. I'm the honest guy. But this is, well, let, let's, Washington is dirty. It's there's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of blah, 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 behind the scene. Hollywood still pulls this like we're just like any other business. We're just we we treat people just like we're a mom and pop outfit. All this talk of like child abuse and, and oppression of women and 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 and, and uh, ethnicities. Like, come on, that's we're good people. And you watch watch NBC eight o'clock Thursday night because we're. Fa- no, no, Hollywood needs to just be like, no, th- yeah, there's a long legacy of us being fucking horrible people to the point that it is just common. It's just understood the way we will tell you you did not get this job, person who flew across the country to come and audition for it. The way you're going to find out, we're not going to call your agent. We're not going to email your agent or your manager so that they could be, because that you're going to read it in the trades or you're going to turn on your TV. That's how much we give a shit about your feelings or anything. That's that's protocol. That's not kind of weird. That's how Hollywood handles people. I got fired by just no one ever calling me again. Yeah. And I go, I'm supposed to be on a plane. And then people aren't responding to text messages. And I go, well, I guess no one bought me a ticket for this plane to go to my job. There's an endless story. There's an endless series of stories of people putting their their security card in at work one morning and it's like and it's like oh and like you talk to the security guard and they're like i don't know and then you call your supervisor or your producer on the show or whatever it is that and they're like sorry you've been you've been let go you're like whoa that's how i your character has fallen down an elevator yeah that like there's a ton of stories like that and you could say like hey dude you chose it I'm not bitching and moaning. I'm saying that Hollywood, because if that happens in sports, it's a thing. I remember the day Jose Canseco got traded while he was in the on-deck circle. And the Rangers, everyone was like, oh, yeah, we could have handled that a lot better. That was bad. And Jose Canseco was like, it hurt, but hey, you got to do what you got to do. How many coaches have been fired in the tunnel after a game? Yes. Yeah. And when it happens... That every the the GM and everyone's like, yeah, we wish we could had more warning, but this is the way the cookie crumbs. In that Hollywood, the fans? this is like they're like this, they're like this. Fuck you, pussy. Yeah. You're lucky that we even took the time to meet with you. Fuck you. You know. So uh, that's my that's my take on the whole Hollywood machine. Is that because sports fans are better than like fans of the arts? Because they would riot, they would like petition, they would not buy tickets. <sighs> There's a little bit more camaraderie there, maybe. There's two things at play here. I think that there's more honesty in sports in the sense that Hollywood still to this day now, to, I was talking about the immorality, about how they won't admit to that. Just, just like I said, at least politicians have the every politician, whether they're Republican, Democrat, Independent, they'll all be like Washington in, in general or state politics. It's it's dirty. It's dirty. It's a tough game, man. And it, there's a lot of deceit and a lot of deception. A lot of it. Hollywood still tries to pull this boy. But another thing Hollywood does is like they still try to make it seem like the bottom line isn't the most important thing. 
they control the bottom line. Right. Movie financing is a thing. Like, yeah. like they rewrite the books however the fuck they want. And you could say as much as you want about the di- the distinction between sports. But at the end of the day, if you help someone win basketball games, football games, soccer games, no one gives a fuck if you are MAGA, Black Lives Matter. It doesn't get people. They'll say, well, Colin Kaepernick couldn't get a job. Believe me, if Colin Kaepernick was fucking peak Warren Moon. They'd brought him back. And They'd be it. like, "Listen, dude, you, dude, I don't give a fuck. Burn American flags and rub them." The reason he did that is he couldn't play football at that level anymore. Which it, it sucks, yeah. and, and I, I'm not saying I, 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 I am anti Colin Kaepernick. My point is, is like people be like, "Well, they blackballed fill in the blank." No, if you can win, if the Lakers find out that there's a six foot nine guy who can dunk and fly through the air and has great ball control and can, they'll hire him, and then they find out later he's an ISIS. They're like, "Well, what are we gonna do?" Helps us win basketball games. You can Diego Maradona used to do lines of cocaine it, on the soccer field. Yes, yes. Oh, European, European and South American fans—they truly don't give a fuck if you can win games. But my point is, like, there's a clarity with sports that if you can contribute to a team, people, all this, like, but what did he tweet? People are like, "Fuck, fuck off." Yeah, he's good. He's really good. So I'm gonna hire him. <laughs> he rushed for how many yards? Yeah. And there's still some there's still some ambiguity with with Hollywood. There's still a lot of ambiguity where people are like, "Wow, oh, but how is this going to look in the end?" The Yankees don't care how it looks in the end. If you have Aaron Judge numbers, Aaron Judge could be in Al Qaeda. And Yankee fans don't give a shit either because they're like, "Listen, we're not paying you to be a, a, a we didn't like those towers anyway." Authority, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not you're not paid to be our our ethical authority you're like get hit home run shut the fuck up um so i think that's why sports there's 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 a mutual agreement of kind of a little bit more honesty and then also um we the collective we americans i think by and large find a larger connection sentimental connection to our favorite teams than we do to our favorite movie stars i think there's like the rare and hathaways and shit uh, uh or my 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 wife who made some magical connection to like the idea of movies and tv like the word just but most people i when i was a little kid i saw top gun i thought i was in fantasy land i was like this I, this is so cool. I can't understand how this is so can be any cooler. I saw in the theaters. I was six years old, and I was like, <gasps> "Tom Cruise is the greatest." But if I saw Tom Cruise later that day, I'd be like, "That's that actor that played." If when I was six years old, Fernando Valenzuela walked in front of me, I'd fucking start crying. I'd pass out and I would cry. If Magic Johnson walked into a restaurant. I was at Love's Ribs in Beverly Hills, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar walked in when I was nine years old, and I fucking had a conniption fit. I almost couldn't control myself. You know what I'm saying? And I still remember, like, like I was a little older, but I Marlon Brando was at the Beverly. We went to pick up one of my dad's coworkers at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and we walked in, and Marlon Brando was just sitting there. And I was like, whoa, fucking, that's the guy from The Godfather. But even as a 20-something-year-old, when I saw Kobe Bryant, I was like, oh, fuck. Oh shit, it's Kobe. You know what I'm saying? I think we have a connection because movies are movies and you get that two hours. Lakers and Dodgers is a foundational part of my whole life. 
And some people are not sports fans. I understand most, some people have a different connection. Some people have that connection with music. Some people have that connection where it's like, but, but in this country, millions and millions of people have the, their home football team or their home basketball team or home baseball is, is more than a team. So you look the other way a lot of times, you know, with, with something that maybe is something you, you're not that happy with. But it's it's beyond. Oh, I like the team that wears that jersey. Dodger Stadium is like my summer home. It's every it, the smell of Dodger dogs is shit. It's a bigger yeah. It's your people going out there and saying we're the best city in the world. Yeah, at this, yes. at whatever. Yes, people from this city, my family, my community, we're better than all y'all. Yeah, and so it's it sucks if you have a favorite movie and like the the lead actor, lead actress is a piece of shit. But. Like, okay. R.I.P. 7th Heaven? Dude. My wife didn't know about that. Really? We were watching some 80s movie the other day, and she's like, God, that guy. Oh, I remember what it was. I don't want to. This is dirty. It's a really. We were watching uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's one of my daughter's favorites. We named our cat. One of our cats is Ferris because my daughter chose. She thinks it's funny. She thinks Ferris Bueller is the coolest person that's ever lived. And I'm, I'm like not that far behind. I agree with her. We were watching Ferris Bueller's and she had seen the dad. The principal in Ferris Bueller is the dad in Beetlejuice, which is also one of my daughter's favorites. And I was like talking to my daughter about how dope he is. And then my wife's like, yeah, he is. He's amazing. I wonder what, why isn't he? So I go, well, there's a reason. She really? I go, yeah, um, yeah. That act, that actor. It's like my daughter's sitting here. My wife's sitting. Here. I was like, it's the worst stuff that you can do as a guy. She's like, really? I was like, yeah. That's a. It's so bad. We don't even want to talk about it here. It's the worst. It's the worst. It's the worst. Yeah. Smacking a girl's bad. Killing people's bad. That's the worst. That's. <laughs> it's way worse. And then uh, she's like, no way. I didn't even know. I was like, yeah. It's like the dad from Seventh Heaven. She's like, what? It's like, oh, I, I didn't know about that from that man. That show was erased from the internet. Oh yeah, that show like, it, like it, it's almost like the Mandela effect now. Well, and especially because that was the like family friendly show. That was the, the WB at that time was the shit. Yeah, like that's not even basic cable. It was just like open broadcasting. But like, yeah, it's it was, the it's the uh, it's the other network, right? You know, Fox and 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 WB and then UPN at the time. But yet, and he did the worst shit, which bugs me. You know what bugs me so much? Not that guys do that. The guys doing that bugs me. But that guys like Pee Wee Herman get thrown in that same category. I was like, that dude. Not wanted- the same. I know, but to a lot of people, because he was a child, he entertained children, and he was my favorite. Mm-hmm. I cried when he when he died a month ago. Um, but. He's a dude who went to uh, an adult who went to an adult theater and wanted to beat off. And now like he, he somehow lumped in with, I was like, dude, he's not even a, he's a gay guy who at a time didn't want to be open, which is fucking fully. You couldn't be open at that time. Fully understandable. Especially because he was like, his demographic was children. Mm -hmm. There's probably a lot of weirdos who'd be like, I don't want this gay guy talking to my kid. So he goes to a gay adult theater and he wants to wank off. Like, Jesus Christ. And I know he gets thrown in with like honestly. How many of your congressmen still do that? How many of your congressmen go to Epstein's Island? Oh god. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> okay. 
Oh, we'll end on this. We're we'll end on this because I know you have a life to live. All I want is for there to be some footage of perverts going to Epstein's Island, and when they get there, the Island Boys are there. That's pretty funny. Thank you. That's that's really funny. I don't know if I can <laughs> AI AI Photoshop that bit, but I just I'd love like like Prince Charles and like. Bill Clinton are like, oh, we're going to get us some. Mm-hmm. And they land and they get off. The, and they're like, island boy. And they're just waiting there like shirtless in a pool. Eat island boy. Oh, God. Come suck my dick. Yeah, God, bro, that's uh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts. Yes.